Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. I'm Austin Meek with Waco Business News, and you're listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco Business. My guest today is Susan L. Sistrunk, artist, art educator, and owner of the Sistrunk Gallery on Washington Avenue. We're going to talk about her work as a working artist, her work as an educator, and what it's like being a professional in the Central Texas art scene. Before our conversation, it's the Business Review with C.J. Jackson. When life gives you lemons... Make green smoothies. I'm CJ Jackson, and this is the Business Review. The road to entrepreneurship can develop naturally or be the means to survive. Green Smoothies CEO and founder Jen Hansard says after her husband lost his job and there was no health insurance, she had to get scrappy. My kids were two and three, and I started Googling how do you boost your immune system, what foods to eat to um, not get sick. And I stumbled across a bunch of weird stuff. And one of them was green smoothies. I didn't have my first piece of kale till I was like 32 years old. I thought that my kids were happily drinking spinach and kale. It was like such a different win for me as a mom. And we weren't getting sick. And so it started with friends. They'd see me drinking my smoothies. That's when it became a business idea. It was because I was like, oh, people want to know more about what I'm doing. And I need money. <laughs> so how can we make this go together? In an effort to attract customers and build an email list, the co-founders hosted a free online green smoothie challenge. We hosted our first free 30-day green smoothie challenge back in 2013 and had 20 or 30,000 people sign up for it. And our hope was that if they gave us their email address to get this free challenge, we could tell them about a future product that we would create and sell it to them. You create something that's free, that has value, that will eventually lead to the product that you want to sell them. You put yourself out there in ways that might feel uncomfortable at first, but if you are doing it with the right intention um, to really serve others and you have something that's going to help them, then you should continue to share because you could change the world with what you have to offer. The Business Review is a production of Livingston and McKay and the Handcammer School of Business at Baylor University. The Business Review can be heard every Thursday during Morning Edition and All Things Considered on Waco Public Radio, KWBU. Susan Sistrunk, welcome to Downtown Depot. Thank you for having me today. What's your history in the Waco community? I've been here since 2001, and it has been a very interesting environment to be in throughout all of the changes that have happened in Waco throughout the last couple of decades. It's inspiring to be a part of something that has thrived so much artistically throughout the last 20 years. I feel like Waco can be broken up into AM and PM, like mm -hmm. anti-Magnolia and post-Magnolia, <laughs> you know, the A-N-T-E as in before Magnolia. So that period of, like, say, 2001 to 2011 or so, um, what was Waco like for you back then? 
Well, I've worked in education for 18 years now, and I've also been a practicing professional artist for years since I was 18. And prior to the last seven to eight years, it was very difficult for a professional artist to sell their work within Waco. Most artists traveled outside of Waco to sell their work because there wasn't much of a market here for it. People who lived here and bought art, they usually went to Dallas or Austin or Houston to buy their art. And now people are looking more at local artists as a viable professional scene. They aren't traveling so much to buy art. They're looking at what's in their own backyard. And that is powerful medicine. So is it that the quality of the art in Central Texas in the last seven or eight years have improved or there's simply more people living in Central Texas with a taste for fine arts who have money? I think there's more attention towards wanting to keep the dollars here rather than travel outside of the area. Most people now, when they speak to me at openings and gatherings, they talk about the need to support what's right here in the community. They talk about supporting local restaurants, supporting local artists, supporting local musicians. It's more about community and fellowship than I've ever seen it before here in Waco. People are really trying hard to support each other. Why? I think that everything that has happened in the past 10 years to 15 years here in Waco has, especially with COVID happening and things were shut down, and we saw local businesses who went out of business, and we saw businesses struggling. I think that it really turned people towards their neighbor and said, how can I help someone I actually know versus a huge corporation of some sort? You know, people aren't buying as much art on Amazon and Hobby Lobby websites as they are from an actual person these days. They're not wanting to go out of town so much as they want to go down the street to Texas Music Cafe and support local musicians. I think that we all had to kind of look at each other during that time of COVID, and it, it really brought up the level of community, in my opinion. This is not the exact right number. I would need to get updated ones mm -hmm. from Lexi Rail at the chamber. But there was a really dramatic disparity between spending a dollar at a local place like the Sistron mm -hmm. Gallery to buy art versus spending a dollar at Hobby Lobby and how much of that actually goes back to Waco. Mm -hmm. It was something crazy like 75 cents of every dollar spent at Sistron goes to the Waco coffers, whereas 25 cents out of every dollar spent at Hobby Lobby ends up going to the city of Waco. So you're literally helping build schools mm -hmm. and streets when you're supporting these local businesses. It's not just uh, a moral good. It's not just something that makes your life more fun getting to know your neighbors. There really is an economic benefit to everyone supporting local. Absolutely. And people are remembering that when they support local art, local musicians, local businesses of any sort, they're putting food on the table for those people. They're helping their kids 
grow and they're paying for education. They're paying for clothes on the kids' backs, you know. People who are small business owners, they have families to support. They have things they need to do. They have a life to live, and they also want to be a vital part of the community at the same time. So when those dollars stay here in Waco, that benefits everyone. What is the setup of your Sistrunk Gallery, and what types of art are you showing? Okay, so right now I have Grayson Chandler. He is a phenomenal artist out of Houston. And typically the way the gallery works is the front room is dedicated to whichever artist I am hosting. And then there is another gallery that I try to dedicate to some of my work and other artists who are within about a 100-mile radius of Waco. I try to keep it as local as possible with the artists so... It, again, brings in people who are within our community into the space. Grayson Chandler is a Houston-based artist that Fiona Bond told me about. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he's gaining some level of notoriety. You had an exhibition of his in the beginning of April is when that opened. What's the reception been to Grayson's work? His work was very well-received, and it continues to be very well received. It's different from anything I've had in the gallery. He's a watercolor artist who also works in gouache. It's surrealist in nature. The current um, exhibition, Proserphina, is based upon the goddess of spring from Greek mythology. And it's vibrant, it's lovely, it's, it's very inspirational to behold. And there's a wonderful flow throughout the room as you walk around it. And the colors are vibrant in a way that makes you think of flowers, but they're not the central focus. It's, it's like if you walked into a warm meadow somewhere. When I looked at a lot of your work, I see a lot of those pieces that harken back to antiquity. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's a profile of a Egyptian goddess or a pharaoh. Um, There's one piece of yours that I found really interesting. I want to show it to you on my phone and have you describe it to (laughs) the listeners here. Okay. He he just passed me his phone. Um, This is the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse that I... I was going through a phase, actually, where I was studying religious art and um, theology, and I went from Roman to Greek to Christianity, and I studied all of these different religions, and I found the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse really um, spellbinding. I was going through, um, I was studying Christianity in college. I'd gone back to college later on. And I found them just, I don't know, enthralling in a way because there's this idea that people have that something horrible is coming for you all the time. When in reality, in my mind, I saw it as kind of a a rebirth sort of. There's always going to be something horrible that's going to happen. But on the other end of that, how do you grow something on the other side? There's always an opportunity for something to grow on the other side of that. So, 
yeah, there's there's going to be something thundering towards you. But on the other side of it, there's something good that happens. You have a ton of fabulous work that you've done over the years. I believe this piece was from 2011. Mm-hmm. And I'm enough of a Philistine that I can't put into words why I liked that. <laughs> I just know that I liked it and it hit me. Well, I still have it and it's still for sale. <laughs> Good to know. Let's talk after the show. <laughs> I wonder, as a working artist, how you would define something as good, good art. What makes good art? Are there tenets? Is it that's applicable to everything? Is it literally just one person's opinion is all that matters? That is a very tough question and <laughs> one to be answered delicately. Um, well, and, and one reason why I ask your perspective on this is because it's very clear from looking at your work and your place in the community and your pursuit of being an art educator, someone who wants mm-hmm. to showcase artists who maybe have had difficulty being in other galleries. Uh, there's probably a reason why they haven't been in other galleries, right? And is it because they haven't had an opportunity or is it because the work isn't good enough? So I just wonder, how do you balance wanting to promote all art while balancing you know, the reputation of the studio? Like, this is a place I can know and I can find good, trustworthy artwork. Um, it's not always about whether or not the art is good enough. I always talk to my students and equate art to and this is going to sound simplified, but it's true. Art is like anything else. If you have great work, but you don't have the right personality or you don't present yourself in a professional manner, there's no point in working with that artist. It's like having the most talented person on the basketball team who shoots off their mouth in the locker room. It just won't work. And you can also have someone who is, maybe their work isn't quite at the caliber that most people would consider the higher echelon of art, but they have drive and they have passion. And you just know that if you give that person a chance, all they want is their foot in the door. That can shape their life. And I think that there is a there is a huge balance there in is the work to the quality that most people look for and is the person the quality that most people want to meet and greet and know about because you have to have a delicate balance of both i think it's not just about the work It's about the person who created the work. Is the person who's buying the work, is that patron, do they want want to know that artist? Are they interested in the backstory? The backstory in the art is like key to everything. Is there soul in there? Is there passion in there? That is what sells art. You're reminding me of a conversation I had recently with David Mayfield, who owns the Waco Wine Shop. Mm -hmm. And I was asking how he decides which wines to source and sell in the shop. And he said, besides the taste of a beverage, we really get into the process of the farmer and we get to know the farmer and the farm itself and the grapes that they're growing. And that really blew my mind because it's not just about taste. It's about 
the story that is evoked from the taste and the mm-hmm. hard work that goes into making those flavors. And that seems really similar to what you're talking about with the art. Absolutely. Um, I can remember the first time I sold a piece of art. And I can tell you where I sold it, who I sold it to. And I keep up with the people who have bought my art without throughout the years. And they always go back to the story I told them. But sometimes it's not my story. Sometimes they look at a painting, whether it's a painting that was created by me or another artist, and they have a story of their own that it reminds them of, something from their childhood, something from maybe a challenging part in their life. And it's not necessarily always about the artist. It's it's a balance, again. It's not about one specific thing, as you said. It's about a multitude of different factors that come together that makes one person walk into a room, look at a piece of art, and they fall in love. You're hearing from Susan L. Sistrunk, owner of the Sistrunk Fine Art Gallery at 2120 Washington Avenue. Can you help me understand a little bit the business side of running an art gallery? Um, I would imagine that there's varying commissions that you take based on who the artist is, and you also have to balance your innate desire to help the little people get up to the big mm-hmm. level and wanting to showcase others. What's the model, and, and how has it been successful for you? Um, is it successful for you, <laughs> and how could it be more successful? Well, um, it's been pretty successful just celebrated my fourth year in business. I am a debt-free business, which is not easy to do at all. My galleries actually run out of my home that was built in 1910 on Washington Avenue. And my model has been 30% commission towards the gallery and 70% to the artist, which has worked out very well. I have a great relationship with artists. And Does that change based on the notoriety of the artist, or that's flat? No, that's flat. I, I just I I don't change that based on how successful someone is. That wouldn't be fair to anyone. <laughs> and do the artists come up with their own pricing, or do you help them with that? Sometimes they ask me for advice, especially if they're a new artist who hasn't really shown much. They tend to have questions about that. And one of the things that is great, because I'm always, I'm always learning from the artists as well, and I've reevaluated my own pricing during this process. And I think how it could be more successful, inflation going down would help. <laughs> but isn't the flip side that possibly you could charge more for a piece now because people are expecting to pay more for things? Mm, I'm not quite sure that always works in terms of art. Um, You can definitely price yourself out of a job in any job. So there's a specific price point in Waco that I try to garner towards, if that makes sense. I wonder if you have seen any evolution in the types of art that Wacoans are buying and are interested in. You mentioned that in the last few years is the first time that a lot of professional artists have been able to make a living doing Mm -hmm. art in Waco. Have the tastes 
of people who are buying art changed? Absolutely. There's still a niche for hyperrealism and traditional art. There always will be. However, I've seen a huge trend towards abstraction in the last few years. And that's been that's been interesting because I was never an abstract artist until I don't know, four years ago. I did my first textural abstraction series. And that show, the first one, sold more than any show I'd ever had before. And people are leaning towards abstraction, I feel. Do you think that's because the the show's selling more than ever? Do you think that's because you are a better abstract artist than a realist artist? Or do you think that's simply just the taste du jour is more abstract pieces? I think it's a combination of both. I think I found a little bit of freedom in abstraction, and I didn't really feel like I had to meet too many people's expectations with it other than my own. Uh, I still do a lot of realistic commissions. I do a lot of portraits, pet portraits, and those things. But there is a freedom in abstraction, I think, for any artist where you can put on some music and lose yourself in the process rather than trying to be technically astute. Whether local or international, alive or deceased, who are some of the artists that are informing this work and particularly the move that you had into abstractionism? Um, I was actually inspired by a trip to Ireland. I was sitting in a pub in Ireland drinking Guinness on a rainy day, as you should do while you're in Ireland, and Fields of Gold came on by Sting. And I had never heard that song before. And I must have really irritated the um, the bartender because I played the song over and over again back in the day when we actually had to feed quarters into a jukebox. And I had this idea in my head about just gold swirls kind of, you know, on a canvas. But I didn't really have the fortitude or the knowledge technically to pull it off at the time. So I sat on the idea for over 20 years and then went through a hard time during COVID, as most of us had. (laughs) And one day I looked at the first few I had done that were hanging on my bedroom wall and I said, you know what, it's time to do this. And I created 46 pieces of fields of gold, and I only have eight left. <laughs> and I followed it up by uh, Van Morrison's Into the Mystic, and then I went back to Sting for um, Desert Rose. And what inspired me also with Sting's music was the idea of I just finished studying Chaucer and um, Christopher Marlowe, and Christopher Marlowe's Passionate Shepherds to His Love poem. And it the lyrics were quite similar to Sting's lyrics in the song. And come to find out that Sting has a manor house in Wiltshire, England. And he said that he could imagine lovers meeting in the fields of barley outside of his home. So, How does a painting start for you? 
Um, of course, you you have the idea in your mind. Maybe it's listening to Fields of Gold, but do you have it sketched out with a pencil and then you go back in with paint, or are you showing up at the canvas just ready to spray? Um, right now I'm doing some silhouettes of musicians, so I just kind of show up at the canvas for those. I have one painting that's been on the easel. It's it's huge. It's five by six, uh, five foot by six feet, <laughs> and it it's a labor of love on my part for Trilingua. So it's it's very surrealist in nature, but it kind of gets put on the back burner because of other projects. The wonderful thing about commission projects is that I sit down and I do a lot of technical sketches and I usually have five or six before I give them to the patron to kind of approve, disapprove. Um, when I'm doing something just out of my head, it, it tends to be just get in there and knock it out. And those are those are late evenings. But I find the work when I just get in there and paint to be a little more powerful than when I'm taking too many steps. Sometimes you can take too many steps and it holds you back from just expressing on the canvas. It, it's far as I work <laughs> anyway. What tips do you have for people who are starting an art collection and want to be buying art? If you like a painting, Go for it. There are no right answers as far as buying art. I've I've known I know some people with really fabulous collections who would tell me they're not an art collector, and I've walked in their house and had a glass of wine with them and looked around their house and said, "Okay, I know you say you're not an art collector, but you are." <laughs> so um, if you if you like something, there's no right or wrong answer as far as art. Some people would tell you. You need to buy this piece because it goes with your couch or, you know, is color-oriented towards your decor in your home. I think collecting art should be about what moves you, what, what just lights something on fire inside of you. Because the best art collections I've seen in someone's home, the pieces have nothing to do with each other. I've been in homes where... They have original sketches of Hanna-Barbera and a pair of Cher's shoes and then a wonderful Western piece in there somewhere. Art is not about a theme. It's about what lights you on fire when you see it. As we're wrapping up our conversation here with Susan, I want you to give me a final manifesto for the Waco community who wants to support you, wants to support arts in Central Texas, but might not know exactly the right way to do it. Maybe you don't have a bunch of disposable income mm -hmm. to go buy pieces of art. How would you um, kind of put a stamp on this conversation, and what's your message to the Waco community? You know, disposable income isn't there for everybody right now. What I will say is that a lot of artists also sell prints and reach out to figure out Find an artist you like. Reach out to them and find out how you can in some small way support them by either showing up to one of their shows or, you know, buying a print. Um, the small things really do matter. So just 
give it some thought about how you can interact with those artists, because even interacting shows your support. Liking, commenting, posting on their pictures or their absolutely, Facebook. Absolutely. That, that is huge. Susan L. Sistrunk is an artist, educator, and owner of the Sistrunk Fine Art Gallery at 2120 Washington Avenue. Thank you so much for coming and sharing how people can get interested and involved in the Central Texas art community. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Susan Sistrunk of the Sistrunk Fine Art Gallery and to you for tuning into episode 148 of Downtown Depot here on Waco Public Radio. You can find me in between episodes on Facebook and Instagram at Waco Business News. And join me back here on the first Friday of May for another conversation with an inspiring small business owner, civic leader, or engaged citizen sparking Waco's revitalization. I'm Austin Meek, and you've been listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco business. Thank you.